What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Jake Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Brainy. It is Thursday, June 8th, and last night was Game 3 of the Cleveland Cavaliers and Golden State Warriors NBA Finals, the fourth straight year. Uh, we know that Game 1 did not go the Cavs' way, and predictably, Game 2 didn't either. So, in their quest to win two of the last three NBA Finals, the Cleveland Cavaliers were facing what was... Close to an almost must-win game, but uh, came up a little short. So they face another 3-0 hole, and it is not looking great. Morale is low. The gut punch last night was Kevin Durant repeating his Game 3 dagger of last year in practically the same exact spot on the floor in Cleveland. It was a tough game to watch. You know, each one of these games, you say... Something else happened. You know, in game one, I, I hate to put this out there on the refs, uh, but late in the game, the refs happened. You know, that that just happened. They blew some calls. They reversed some calls. I hate putting the game on the refs, but I've never seen such universal hate for the refs in any sport I've ever seen. You know, the last time I saw some everyone rally against the officiating this universally was when... I believe it was Armando Galarraga for the Detroit Tigers was throwing a perfect game against the Cleveland Indians, and Jason Donald had an infield single with two outs in the ninth inning, and it was pretty clear that he was safe. And I understand what Jim Jones was looking at when he called safe on on Jason Donald's infield single. You know, it looked like the ball kind of was moving around in the glove, but I mean, you know, Years later, I can admit that was probably a bad call, and even he knew it, and everybody let him hear it everywhere, whether it was like sports TV, sports media, the fans, MLB even said it was wrong. So, I, you know, this was reminiscent of that. Game two, the Warriors happened. Straight up, the Cavaliers looked deflated in that game. They had a couple stretches of good basketball, but in the end... The Golden State Warriors ran their offense the way they know how to. When you put up bad shots and you put up, you know, turnovers that lead to fast breaks, the Warriors are unbeatable. You know, that is their game. When they are moving the ball fluidly, hitting open guys, and not playing this one-on-one game, they are at their best. So, when that happens, you get blown out. You know, LeBron James plays like an all-star and still doesn't even matter. You know, he has to play like the no-doubt MVP for anything to matter in this series. You know, he's 51-8-8, eight and eight, and that didn't matter in Game 1. So Game 3, what do you need to happen? Well, you need the Warriors to not play their game. You need to force them to one-on-one basketball and hope that one doesn't go absolutely off. And that's exactly what happened. Kevin Durant happened to the Cavaliers. His second straight Game 3 dagger... You know, this will probably win him the finals MVP because Steph, you know, he's, while he's great, people love to overlook him when he sucks. He was 3 of 16, 11 points. He had as many assists as he had turnovers and was basically a very below average point guard in that game. He was exploited on defense and and wasn't a factor in the win. He hit one three-pointer after setting the three-point record in game two. And of course, the three-pointer that he hit was late in the game to make it a four-point lead. Even though LeBron rallied right after that to get the three-pointer right back, 
it was still, you know, dagger time. You know, it was, of course, Steph hits one then. Draymond, 10 points, 50% shooting. Uh, Clay Thompson, 10 points, another 50% shooting. It's not like they came to play. You know, the Cavaliers did what they were supposed to do. And unfortunately, Kevin Durant was amazing, wouldn't miss shots. And that's what happened. He is the difference. No, I've been saying it. I mean, I haven't been saying it very long, but it's been noticeable in both finals that this is a Durant subtraction or an Irving addition away from this being the Cavs to lose. And I know that's crazy to say. And I hate when people say things that, you know, we'll never know. You know, Sean Payton at the draft says, none of these quarterbacks are first-round quarterbacks. And it's like, well, you're not going to draft them, so of course you're going to say that. Or when someone says, oh, if Sean Kaiser came out this year, he'd be in the first round. He didn't come out this year. He came out last year. So we won't know. When people say these things that just you throw them against the wall and no one can fight them, I hate that. So I don't like the fact that I just said that. But I do truly believe that if Kyrie Irving was still on the Cavaliers and playing, you know, he has to be healthy because if he was unhealthy, then they wouldn't have any of the pieces they got for him, you know. So they'd be dealing with him without the finals. But let's say he was on the Cavs, you know, this is theirs to lose. And I know someone on the team said that to the media. They won't say who. So anytime you say a source or a, you know, veteran said this, but you won't name them, it's like, no, yeah, hard to take you at your word, especially in the NBA when they love to throw rumors all over the place. But it was tough. It was a tough way to you know watch that. I mean, ugh, LBJ, you know, he plays like an all-star, and the, it, they have no chance. But Steph sucks, and they still win. And yet, at the end of the game, him and Draymond are as cocky as can be because they're allowed to make mistakes because they have other all-stars to pick them up. And Durant, fucking Durant, like, he shows up one time and he has one huge game and all of a sudden everyone's talking about him as the best player on the planet it's like lebron's been doing this for like three months man and he does it like every year for this stretch he's un he's inhuman but durant has one big game and everyone's like well hold on hold on everybody it's durant difference it's it's just tough to watch that uh so enough of the hot takes the fact is the Cavs are down 3-0 I think people were wrong about the Cavs having no chance. I mean, clearly they had a chance in this series. They had two games that they led late in the fourth quarter, and they blew. One at home, one on the road. I mean, this could be 2-1 Cavaliers, and everyone would be saying, yes, they have a chance to win if they're up 2-1. And it's not like you can say, well, you know, they're like the Indiana Pacers where they hung around, hung around, hung around, but didn't have a closer, or the Toronto Raptors who time and time again have proven that they can't do it. This isn't those teams. This has LeBron James, like one of the best athletes of all time. You know, possibly the best basketball player of all time. You know, whatever you feel about on that debate. The point is, the Cavaliers belong. They are the best chance of being this team because they have LeBron. And they just didn't... It's not happening. Now, I will say this. In the last three years, the Cavs are 7-1 and one in elimination games. Okay, they are three and zero in elimination games without Kyrie Irving. So before you come at me and say, "Well, they had Kyrie Irving," so oh, well, they're three and zero without Kyrie Irving in elimination games. They're four and one versus Golden State in elimination games. Okay, so they know how to beat this team with their back against the wall. 
I know a lot of players are gone that were part of those teams. But the one remaining factor is LeBron James. And as long as he's on the floor, there's a chance. So tomorrow, game five, game four, uh, not happy about it. It could very well be LeBron's last game in Cleveland. Uh, I hope the fans show up and I hope they win this one. Don't let don't let the sweep happen. You know, don't let everybody say, "Wow, the Cavs just were totally outmanned." At least win one, and then you know what? Worry about Game Five, and and then go on from there. Don't try and worry about all four games right now. Just worry about one. And if this is LeBron's last game, you know, I I don't want him to go to Philly. I've made that pretty clear, but I think I could still live with it as long as Philly fans aren't being dicks about it. Uh, I've been pretty clear about that. That I, I, the one thing I fear about him going to Philly is, uh, I feel like they'd be a little too pompous. And if they aren't, I'm actually on board with that plan because I like Joel Embiid. Even though I would, you know, he should shut up sometimes when he's, you know, <laughs> like on vacation while everyone else is still in the playoffs. And I think Ben Simmons is a super flawed and super overrated player. I can see what there is to love about him, and I actually really like him you know, his personality and everything. And they did just fire Brian Colangelo, the one bad link that you would say, don't go to Philly because of this. And guess what? They have an opening. And if they interview anyone outside of Sam Hinkie and Brian Colangelo, they'd be crazy because either of those guys, you know, on one hand, you have the guy that orchestrated this whole team. And then on the other hand, you have the guy that LeBron James really likes and was inexplicably fired from Cleveland. Man, was that stupid. I mean, the Cavs, they might not be in this situation had Dan Gilbert not been the worst owner in sports, getting rid of the GM that was responsible for all of this. He was too heady. He cares too much about his ego. And in lost in the struggle, Kobe Altman tried to do his best. But you know what? The Kyrie replacements just aren't there. You know, it's just it, they took a gamble on Isaiah Thomas and his hip, and they shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have sent Kyrie to Boston. I've been very clear about my stance on that. Uh, I understand what they thought they were getting, and if they got what they thought they were getting, I would have been all for it. You know, the Brooklyn pick being a top three pick and not number eight. Jay Crowder being a defensive stopper slash can make the occasional three, slash he's dealing with Durant, and uh, Durant maybe isn't having to be defended by Love all the time. I understand what they got there. Ante Zidic is a project. Uh, and Isaiah Thomas. Yeah, I mean, the injury, that, that stings, man. That's, he did, they, had to, they got 75 cents on the dollar of Kyrie. And then they had to sell the 75 cents for like 32 cents. It didn't work. I understand trading Kyrie, but they did it poorly. And now it's it's one of the many crumbles to fall in the whole LeBron James, where is he going, Saka? Because I don't blame him if he leaves at this point. I understand why. You know, when I, four years ago, I'm sorry, eight years ago, when he left Cleveland the first time, uh, you know, I, I was a college kid. I was pissed off because he was leaving the best team in the East. And uh, just, you know, he did it in such poor fashion. This time, I mean, hey, I, I can't even blame him. We have a bad environment around him. Unless Kobe Altman pulls off a miracle and 
somehow uses this number eight pick on either a superstar draft pick. I don't think that's going to get it done, but that and then swing it. You know, he's going to make some moves before LeBron leaves. Make a trade for Kawhi Leonard or Kemba Walker or CJ McCollum or, or Paul George. Like you can get two of these guys with the number eight pick, Kevin Love, a couple of these contracts that are only one more year of guaranteed money. You know, George Hill and J.R. Smith, I know everyone looks at them as two years of bad contracts left of big money. Now, after this one year, they have $1 million buyouts, so it's basically a one-year contract for both of them. If you can swing something along those lines and you can get LeBron a new second banana and a new third banana, you know, because right now his second banana is Kevin Love, and Kevin Love should be the third banana. Or move Kevin Love and the eight pick and get two new guys. If you can get C.J. McCollum out there, you know who likes Cleveland. He's fr- he's a big Browns fan. He's from Ohio. If you can get C.J. McCollum and Kemba Walker, and with LeBron James, all of a sudden maybe that's something. You know, maybe that's something he can get on board with. And who knows? You know, every time you say, "Oh, trading for a superstar," though, like you need to give up this, 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 and this, like. I read the Ringer article. This is what would be fair. Guess what? Every time you trade a superstar, you don't give up as much as you should. I mean, Celtics got Kyrie Irving. They didn't give up nearly as much as they should have. Uh, when the Thunder traded for Paul George, they didn't give up enough. Oladipo just exploded, and Paul George still had a pretty good season, but Oladipo exploded. They still didn't give up a lot for him. Victor Oladipo exploded. Can't make that clear enough. So when these trades happen, it is possible to get it for what the Cavs have. They need to really work their magic. They could really use David Griffin. I mean, man, is it is it obvious that they need David Griffin to say, hey, listen, Dave, you know, these are the assets we have. You need to sprinkle some, you know, magic fairy dust on it to bring in someone that will, you know, that will be the LeBron keeper because I think the Cavs are just about out of options if they don't make any moves if I'm LeBron I'm pretty much not staying I brought a championship here to Cleveland and it might be time another food for thought you know when people think have this is as bad as you can get imagine if they had lost 16 and they didn't win that finals and Durant joins them anyway yeah <laughs> Losing four straight NBA Finals to the same team when four years ago we got LeBron back and thought, man, LeBron's going to be here for the next four years. We're going to make it to the Finals every year, and we're going to stumble upon one of the greatest sports teams ever assembled. I I mean, that would be the ultimate Cleveland loss right there. All of the Cleveland blunders that you see on the ESPN lowlight reel of the laziness of the you know, LOL Cleveland lowlights... This would have been the leadoff. This would have been, they had the greatest player in the world, but they're going up against the greatest team ever assembled. It was just bad timing. You know, instead, they still got the 16, 2016 victory. You can never take that away from the Cavs. Uh, They, I mean, they even blew games in that series that they should have won. It's been a great run. It's been a great run is what I'm saying. And we shouldn't take it for granted. Winning a championship, making it to four in a row, Pretty pretty solid run. A lot of teams have had big runs where they didn't win it. And uh, hey, we can't say that. But if you want to look at the positives, Cavs are in the finals again. 
Indians are in first place of the AL Central, and the Cleveland Browns haven't lost a game in months. Things aren't that bad in the land. Speaking of the Browns, big news today. One of my favorite Cleveland Browns, a super underrated player, Duke Johnson, just got a three-year extension. Very excited for my man, Duke. He is so underused, so undervalued, so underappreciated. If he got as many touches as some of the guys that he I compare him to, he would blow them out of the water with the stats. When it comes to catches and rushes and yards per touch, he's one of the best in the league. He's right up there with David Johnson on numbers. I know David Johnson has the like the explosiveness and the bigger frame, the look and the numbers, but it's because of the attempts and basically the chances he's been given. Duke Johnson, I think he is I think he's a top 15 running back. He just hasn't been given the shot, but now the Browns given Nick Chubb on his rookie deal, which is going to be four, four years. Duke Johnson, which is a year on his rookie deal, and then three-year extension, so another four years. And then Carlos Hyde, another three years, which you know they're going to decide eventually, hey, we can opt out of Carlos Hyde's deal after this year. Duke Johnson, Carlos Hyde money is going to be off the table by the time it comes to sign Nick Chubb. John Dorsey, not a bad job. So far, he's done a pretty heck of a good job, and he hasn't crippled the team with any contracts He's just acquired young players and gotten them for pretty decent, you know, amount of money. A lot of people think Jarvis Landry got overpaid, maybe, but the Browns had that money, and he doesn't cripple them for the future. In three years, they can get out of that for minimum, uh, you know, leftover money. And if that happens, well, then the money comes off the books, and Jarvis Jarvis Landry is gone, but Tyrod Taylor's money is off the books. Maybe Carlos Hyde's money is off the books. And all of a sudden, you're looking at another $35 million to go pay guys like Miles Garrett, Baker Mayfield. And this is four years down the road. I like what the Browns are doing. And uh, I don't think a Super Bowl is out of realm. I know it's early. But I'm liking it, and I'm loving it. All right, off of sports for a minute. Gotta, gotta, Gotta squash some beef real quick. You know, an article is going around, and then another article started going around, and then podcasts started going around, all on the topic of going to the movies alone. You know, Wall Street Journal said something about it. Barstool's all over it right now. Lights, Camera, Podcast, they're on it. Now the Jake is on it, too, because this is something that I've been doing for a while now. I like going to the movies alone. You know, let's look at the positives of this. Number one, you don't go to the movies to make conversation. You don't go to the movies to talk to people, to be social. You go to the movies to watch a movie. And to watch a movie, you kind of need to be to be quiet. So bringing someone along, it's not really worth it. Now, I still appreciate going to the movies with other people, but going alone is totally fine. And if anything, should be the expected norm. Not just, hey, that's okay to do. It should be the expectation right? I've probably gone to five or six movies alone just this year. You know, I like going to the movies and I can, uh, other positives, you can go on your own time. You don't have to figure out a time that works best for other people. If you have a couple hours open and you're 20 minutes away from the movie theater and no one's around and it's crummy weather out, 
Go to a movie. You've been wanting to see a movie? Go to a movie. It's always on your terms. I'm an AMC Stubbs member. I save a lot of money by going to the movies because I go that much that it makes sense to you know get 10 bucks off every $100 you spend. There, there are a lot of positives, and the only negatives I see is, oh, you look like a weirdo doing something alone. It's like, well, who cares? Everyone likes being alone anyway. You like pl spending plenty of time on your own, to yourself. People are on their phones all the time. If you're going to watch a movie, you really don't care to watch it with other people unless you're making it about watching it with other people. I think we need to squash the whole going to movies alone is a bad thing. Now, I am going to the movies tonight with other people, but hey, let's squash the going to movies alone thing. It's great. And you enjoy it too. If you're not like secure enough to do it on your own, I mean, I kind of feel bad for you. Sorry. And yeah, while we're on the topic of movie going, my top five this week is going to be movie genres to see in theaters, right? You know, you love going to the movies, whether you're with someone or with that or doing it on your own, going to the movies, you've got a lot of different genres out there. But there's five, in my case, that work the best. Now, I'm kind of hitting some loopholes on this one, so you got to bear with me. You know, because not every movie is a good one to see in theaters. Now, every good, every, I should rephrase that. Every movie is great to see in movie theaters, but some you need to see in theaters, and others you really don't care to see in theaters. Like, you know, if you're watching a biopic, I don't need to see Ray on the big screen. I don't need to see, you know, The Express, the Ernie Davis story. I don't need to see that on the big screen. These movies that, you know, are more about history, like Steve Jobs and any any type of, like, famous person that you want to know more about, that's better for a Sunday afternoon when you don't have anything to do and it happens to be on TV you want to tune in. You don't need to see that in theaters. And I'm going to say it too. You don't need to see comedies in theaters. I mean, the whole thing about comedies is laughing and getting a good joke in, sometimes you want it to be quiet. You don't want to hear other people talking and stuff like that. So, I mean, if you're going to watch a comedy in a theater, it's still good. But in terms of needing to see it in the theaters, no, not at all. I, I can see comedy at home, and it will have the same exact effect on me. Uh, Rom-coms, dramas, this is the same thing. You don't need to see it in the theaters because there's no added value of the movie theaters for those mo spe uh, specific movies. But if we're going to the top five genres to see in theaters, number five, I'm going to make it straight. It is the Fast and Furious franchise. Boom. I mean, come on, people. Everyone loves the Fast and Furious movies. If you don't, I shouldn't say it. A lot of people don't like those movies, but... The race movies are so great to see in theaters. You have excitement, you have fast cars, you have, usually there's like a lot of hot girls on screen. They make it so exciting. It is action adventure to the max. You have Vin Diesel and Paul Walker and RIP and everyone just flying around the streets of LA or Saudi Arabia or wherever they happen to be and there's nothing like a fast car on the big screen, all right? Number four, heist or escape movies, right? I wasn't fortunate enough to be alive when Heat came out and in, in theaters. Uh, actually, I think I was alive. I was just too young to, to uh, get out to it. But that's the perfect movie to watch on the big screen, right? You have 
Val Kilmer shooting up the streets, waiting for the van. You have Inside Man, where Denzel Washington is figuring out the clues of, of what's going on inside there. Intrigue, uh, suspense. There's a lot. It, you, the Italian job has a little bit of racing in it, too. Heist movies or escape from prison movies. Anything that has you on the edge of your seat, great to see on the big screen. Super awesome movies to see. Number four. All right, number three. Space exploration, space exploration or nature-driven films, right? Star Wars, solo movie. Uh, I saw that this week, and that's what I'm going to do my one-minute movie review in a minute on. Uh, that's an, I mean, it's always great seeing something in outer space. I also saw Passengers with Chris Pratt uh, and uh, Jennifer Lawrence. That was a great movie to see on film because they spent so much money on the cinematography and just the settings and everything. Uh, what was the Mars movie with Matt Damon? Oh, The Martian. Another great movie to see in theaters. I mean, what's cooler than a movie on Mars? You've got the vast landscapes of a foreign planet. You have space, you know, shuttles and, and crashes and everything that you want to see on the big screen, like in race movies or in escape movies, yet you get it out in the wilderness of space. And then on the other side of that is, you know, nature-driven films. Uh, the one that really sticks out the most is Everest. Uh, that movie wasn't super interested in, but when I heard that it was going to be on the IMAX screen at the mall and you just got that feeling of, man, this is going to be one of those, it's going to be unreal to see on the IMAX screen. So I'm all for anything that has, you know, really like vast landscapes of nature or space, I think, that, you know, on the same lines. All right. Now, number two on this list. Thrillers, horror films, you know, seeing a scary movie, yeah, it still gets the same vibe at home, you know, in your in your house, if you got all the lights off and you're seeing it for the first time, I, I get it, that could be scary, but it's so much scarier on the big screen. Uh, watched A Quiet Place a couple weeks ago, and I had that on the, on the podcast for a one-minute movie review, and I don't think I'd nearly enjoy it as much at home. I think watching it on the big screen, it being so quiet, the lack of sound is so unnerving in those movies. And in scary horror movies and thrillers, you have a lot of silence throughout those films ready to get you. And anybody that knows me knows Jake is the easiest gotcha guy on, on movies. I mean, I am constantly like shaking like jumping like popping and and it's it's funny to my friends to me it's like somewhat embarrassing but at the same time like hey i get really into the films you know i'm super concentrated for something to just snap and happen i mean it, it gets me going i it, it you got me like what can i say my my friends from college they have a great story about when we saw paranormal activity and i had a huge jump or like shook my popcorn and everyone kind of was just cracking up in the row and you know, Tommy Scotto and Brendan Engelstad and a couple of my other buddies in college, they were there and they knew, like, oh my God, Jake, you are so easy to just, like, frighten like that. And I always think those are just great movies to see in theaters because you get the same effect at home, but it's amplified by, like, a hundred on the big screen, all right? My number one, 
And uh, this could, the only reason that I think this beats the number two is because, you know, those thrillers, those horror films, you need it to be quiet. And sometimes you're watching movies on the big screen. Not everybody appreciates the rules like you do. I have common courtesy towards everyone else in the movie theaters. I turn off my phone. I don't text. I don't go onto my screen. I don't talk. I stay quiet in the films because i that's what I want of everyone else. So I do the same. And for those who think that texting isn't bothering people, it is. There should only be one screen, and it's the movie screen. So shut up. I don't want to hear it. All right. But the reason that is a number one is because you need a loud movie at number one. And, hey, action-adventure, superheroes, you know, any type of comic book movie that's been turned into the big screen event, uh, heroes, that whole genre of the hero action-adventure. you got, like, Indiana Jones. You've got all this Marvel stuff that's coming out. Jurassic Park. All of those action-adventure-slash-hero-type movies. It's the perfect movie to be seeing on screen. I want to turn off my brain and just be entertained. You know, as much as I really appreciate a movie like uh, Inception, Inside Man, or something with a deeper, longer story involved, or something that's scaring me, those are all great, and I love those. But sometimes you just got to turn off your brain, go to the movies, and be entertained for two hours. I don't really like the Transformers movies, but I love seeing them on the big screen. Anything The Rock does... That's a big screen turn off your mind movie. It's what's so great about the Fast and Furious franchise is that there's really not a whole lot to follow. It's just enjoy. And that's what the movies is about, right? You're supposed to go just to enjoy yourself. At the end of the day, everybody wants to criticize everything because that's 2018. We just criticize. That's what we are. We're cynical people in a cynical world. But when I go to the movies, I just want to turn off my brain and enjoy. I don't try and figure out the ending before it comes up. Things that might seem pretty obvious sometimes catch me off guard because I'm not looking for it. This, this is perfect. Give me the Marvel movies. Give me something where I can laugh. I can enjoy the action. I can enjoy the hero, someone to root for. Indiana Jones, Thor Ragnarok, give me friggin' Jaws. Give me Jaws. All those great big screen films. It's number one. It's not even, it's it's pretty close, but at the end of the day, it's not really that close. All right, so, I and with all that being said, you know, I saw Solo this week. I loved it. Talk about that in a second. And tonight, seeing Ocean's 8, heist movie. Love that on the big screen. Actually going as a date movie, which is also, you know, hey, Ocean's 8 seems like right up my alley for a date movie. So, yeah, let's get it. Let's go, and I'll be sure to review that next week. But... This week's one-minute movie review that's sure to go over one minute is Solo. Now, a lot of cameos, all right? A lot of references. You know, they had Jabba the Hutt. They had, oh, hold on. Spoiler alert. I'm making that very clear, all right? Okay, so Solo. They had a lot of references. You know, they referenced Jabba the Hutt. They had multiple Wookiees in it. They had the actors that play R2-D2 and C-3PO. They showed up as, as other characters for the first time. You know, their faces were on screen instead of just their voices or them in a, in a machine suit. Uh, they had Jon Favreau. Nice little appearance by him. 
the Rebellion, you know, was making its first appearance on screen. Darth Maul was on screen. A lot of fun references there. A lot of really cool cameos. Really enjoyed everything that they did. Uh, you know, they went back to Corellia. They did everything with Lando. They mentioned the, uh, the you know, making the Kessel Run. They mentioned winning the, the Millennium Falcon. They had that whole scene. They did, they, at the end of the day, it seemed like they were just tying up a lot of things that people were wondering about in the Star Wars history. It was fun. It was a fun movie. If you want to get super critical, you can. You can be super critical and dive right in. But at the end of the day, I enjoyed the movie. You see, it's space, it's chases, it's thrilling. You've got like the young hero trying to win over the girl. It had a bit of a twist ending, like a couple twists that were very cool. They introduced new characters. They killed some of the new characters. They introduced characters that we've met many times and we got to see where they came from, their story. It was a very cool movie. And if you don't like that, I kind of feel sorry for you. Yeah, I wish you could just go to the movies like me and enjoy it. I really enjoyed it. It seemed, though, if I am going to be picky, uh, it was funny. A lot of funny scenes. Did they make too many jokes? You know, every time they had a chance to make a joke, they did. And I felt like, all right, you're, you're pandering a little bit to the crowd. I thought it was very funny. You didn't need to include every joke ever. And did a lot of stuff with the dice. And never really used them. You know, he always thought he was going to win with the dice. They showed him in the middle of the screen, big, a couple times. And really didn't do a whole lot with the dice. And, uh, yeah, they, they talk about the Kessel Run as much as they do. And then they just kind of glossed over it. I thought they were going to make that a huge, big scene. I mean, come on, Ron Howard. Everybody's been waiting for this for a long time. You mentioned it a couple times in the previews. Kessel Run, Kessel Run, Kessel Run. And it happened in like five seconds, and it felt like we didn't fully get to appreciate the dangers of the Kessel Run and everything that goes into that. Now, before I get into my one big thing, you know, and I was talking about the hardos that will find problems and the non-Star Wars people, it's not going to be for you. So maybe I was like the perfect guest for this where... I have all the information of the Star Wars stuff, but I also don't need it to be this perfect tying in film. So maybe I'm the perfect person to watch this movie, but I did have one big bone to pick. And what the hell is with the timeline? At the end of the movie, we find out that the Red Dawn Order is working under Darth Maul. Now, besides the point that it never seemed like Darth Maul was the leader, and that in this movie, they made him seem like the leader of this group. I was like, okay, that kind of seems like a stretch that they're like forcing it. But if I'm correct, Darth Maul died when Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader, was a child, right? Eight, nine, ten years old at the tops. Let's just say ten. That's when Darth Maul died. Okay, so let's say this happens... Moments before that, which I know isn't the case, but okay, let's just say that's the case. He is, Han Solo is clearly in his like 20s, maybe 30s. 
I mean, I guess if you really wanted to push, you could make him like 18, but I don't know. I just it, it it seems like he's a good amount older, no matter how way how you spin it, he's older than Darth Vader. And yet, he looks closer to the age of Darth Vader's children in the other movies. You know, you, you look at the first three Star Wars movies, I mean, he's hooking up with Princess Leia. He is, I mean, he eventually marries Princess Leia, so he is supposed to be within her age range, right? This kind of just leaves me wondering, what's the deal there, you know? And this is something that, I hey, it's timelines, I get it. Sometimes they're not perfect, but, you know, he is clearly a good amount older than Darth Vader, the father of the woman that he eventually marries. I don't know. Not to mention, you go back to The Phantom Menace, when Darth Maul does die, he's struck down by Obi-Wan Kenobi, a young Obi-Wan Kenobi. And in the movies, before this one, always seemed like Obi-Wan was a good amount older than Han. And to be quite fair, they look about the same age in these. Now, we don't have the exact timeline of when Darth Maul gets killed versus this movie, but I gotta imagine Obi-Wan is closer to Han's age than Luke and Leia. I mean, certainly Darth Vader. So it's just something to consider. I think they went for more wow and shock factor than anything here. But I do have a super bone to pick that's a little nerdy of me to get really into. But hey, I, I, I can't let them off for free here. At the end of the day, it was a really good movie. I really enjoyed it, and I will definitely see it again. And I love all these Star Wars movies. They're just a lot of fun to go see. There's a reason it's number, what did I say, four on the list? No, three, space exploration movies. And it's got a long story, a lot of characters everyone already likes. If you don't like Han Solo, that sucks, because Han Solo is an awesome character, one of the best out there. And I thought the young actor that played him did a really good job. Like, Donald Glover is great at everything he does. I think everyone's seeing that nowadays. The cast was really good, you know. Uh, anytime that Khaleesi is on the big screen, everyone's paying attention. And anytime that Woody Harrelson is on the big screen, we're paying attention. John Favreau had a little appearance. Thandie Newton, everyone likes her too. Lots of good stuff to like about this movie. I really enjoyed it. I will be seeing it again. And if you have seen all the Star Wars films, you should see it. And if you haven't seen all Star Wars films, you can still enjoy this because it happens before all of them, apparently. So... In the Star Wars universe, this is the first movie. That's the thing. And that's why it's so weird that Han Solo is in the first ever Star Wars movie because he doesn't seem like he's the oldest character in the Star Wars universe. That's just me. Now, moving on past Star Wars. This week, Monday, was episode two of The Bachelorette. And man, is it heating up. First of all, there were a lot of threats to leave people, you know. Connor threw a pick off a balcony into a water, into the pool, because he couldn't stand the fact that Lincoln was basically gloating winning the game today. And Connor wasn't even close to winning, but he was just fed up with Lincoln's antics. And I can tell Lincoln is going to rub people the wrong way the whole season because 
he acts like this, oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And, and like this British, like bumbling idiot when he's around her that she's like, finds so cute. And not to mention he's like rock hard abs and shit. But then around the guys, he just flaunts it and I can tell they fucking hate it and I think I'd hate it too. So I'm going to really pay attention to all the Lincoln BS going forward. Him and Connor don't like each other and that's cool. Uh, he went and basically told, he told Becca that he basically compared the picture of them to the Medal of Honor. He said when he threw it into... He said he broke the picture. My heart is broken. <laughs> when he threw the picture into the water. I couldn't believe this. I'm like, what a stretch for week two of The Bachelorette. And she kept all these guys. She only got rid of nobodies. And three guys that I had never seen. One of them had an ugly cry, which is great. When you get a rando who never got any time on the screen. And then he has an ugly cry on his way out. Boom. Best way to go out. Best way. Which means she's also keeping all the drama guys for next week. Colton dated Tia. And she kept him around. We see Colton in a lot of scenes in the upcoming episodes. So I have a feeling he's going to be around for a couple more weeks than just, you know, one and two and three. You also had Jordan versus Chicken Man David. They don't like each other because, I mean, Jordan is a male model. I don't know if you heard. I mean, he mentions it every four seconds. And David shows up in the chicken suit and has obviously got somewhat of a sense of humor. And he's still there. And he and Jordan don't like each other. Jordan shows up in his underwear for the cocktail hour because he's trying to show off. And David thinks it's a little desperate, a little rude, a little everything. Is he here for the right reasons was mentioned again. Man, they are on fire to start this show. Uh, apparently she's into Wills. No one really sees it. I don't really get it. But... Hey, you know what? She's she's into a couple of the black guys uh, this uh, this season, which you know unfortunately isn't usually the case. Usually, usually like it's only white guys getting screen time, but uh, she seems very equal here. And hey, I, I'm I'm here for it because I'm a fan of Jean Blanc. I think he's awesome. He made a huge turn this week. Big moves going forward. Jean Blanc got a date rose, which was huge because she could have given it to a lot of other guys. that Lincoln thought he was going to get it. Uh, Garrett has been making a lot of moves with her. And, and I mean, the racist stuff, I still haven't read it. I, I'm waiting for this to come into my face. But uh, uh, the racist, <laughs> Garrett has some racist tweets out there that I'm looking forward to hearing because, bam, is that going to blow up. And then, of course, you know, just next week, the girls are coming to the episode. There's going to be Colton Tia drama. There, she kept all the characters. This is going to be a fun season of The Bachelorette. The longer you keep the characters in the house, the more they're just going to blow up in each other's faces. It's going to be great. Yeah. And that just capped off a great weekend of watching that. Uh, this past weekend, got to do the Princeton P-Raid. Not Parade. P-Raid. Uh... For my dad's 35th college reunion, it's so hard to uh, compare this to anything because it is one of the best alumni events in the country. This isn't just me saying this. This is literally like statistically proven when it comes to alumni events. The Princeton P-Raids are some of the best. We went back. We saw a lot of my dad's old friends uh, and families of his old friends. Uh, had a great time. Outside of my sister had a lot of work to do, but 
was still able to really enjoy the weekend. We saw a Prince cover band that was called the Purple Experience. They were awesome. I love Prince. Uh, a lot of people gave me shit for giving him an RIP post when he died on Instagram, but not when he died on Instagram. I did the RIP post on Instagram. He died in real life. I got a lot of shit for doing that, but you know what? I love Prince. I thought he was, he was the coolest weird guy or the weirdest cool guy that's ever existed, however you want to spin that. And you know what? Uh... Their show was great. They The lead singer looked a lot like Prince. He sounded as close to Prince as a cover band could sound. The band was awesome. The floor was shaking. Jesse's Girl, back to the 80s show, they were there. They were like The Prince Experience was playing at the 25th Prince Experience. The Purple Experience was playing at the 25th tent. And the way this is set up is the entire campus has tents set up all around for parties for every five years. So if you if you are celebrating your 35th anniversary, 36th, 7th, 8th, or 9th graduation anniversary, you celebrate at the 35th tent, which was what my dad was at, and they had a really cool funk band going on. 25th is usually the big one. They get the biggest tent. They get the biggest band. They actually had, and I, I swear to God, they had the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but... A week before the show, Red Hot Chili Peppers had to cancel because word got out and it was it was just going mayhem and everybody showed up. Like, I mean, hey, Maggie and I showed up to that one saying even though our dad wasn't part of the 30, you know, 25th reunion, everybody wanted to see a free free concert uh, for Red Hot Chili Peppers. Anyway, there wasn't enough security. I mean, there is no security. There's no stage. They're just playing on the, the wooden floors of a wedding, basically. And... Uh, they they didn't come, but the Purple Experience was awesome. Everyone had a different theme. We stopped at the Luau theme of the 20th anniversary and had a couple uh, rum drinks and lays. The Jesse's Girl Back to the 80s show was playing at the 15th anniversary. It was amazing. It's it's such a fun time. I hope everyone gets a chance to do something like this. I don't know if uh, my alma mater does quite the same thing but this is just one of those things that princeton does really well their alumni relations were on fire and uh in five years hey the 40th gig they're gonna have to step it up a lot because man were these other shows something else anyway we are way over for this week i've been trying to make these shorter but i'm running late i gotta go thank you all for listening this is another fun episode next week probably gonna review oceans eight which i'm going to tonight we're going to probably review the Stanley Cup Finals. Washington Capitals can close it out tonight. Uh, if not, Vegas is still alive. Been an awesome season for both of them. Rooting for all my uh, my fans of my friends that are fans of the Caps. Our year, every year. And hey, got a lot to talk about next week. I'm going to be diving more into the baseball season. Dive more into the beach season. Bring up some ideas. What do you think? What do you got? What do you want to hear on the podcast? I will talk to you guys next week. See you around. Thanks.